ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Leon Barnard, Education Team Lead at Balsamic, and we're going to talk about wireframing today. This episode is brought to you by Refiner. Capture actionable product and user feedback with in-product microsurveys. Measure NPS, continuously research users, assess product market fit, and more. With Refiner, run any type of survey and precisely target the right users at the right time. To get our in-product survey best practices, download our free microsurvey database at refiner.io slash database. Hi, Leon. Hi, Jane. It's really good to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Likewise, I've been seeing your name online for ages, ever since Balsamic has been, you know, the leader of wireframing. So kudos and congrats on the book. Thanks. Thanks so much. Before we dive into the book story, what's your personal story in design and with Balsamic and what you do there? Sure. So I was a UX designer for 10 years. I worked for a bunch of different companies of different sizes. And when Balsamic came out in 2008, I was one of the very first people using it. And I just loved it. I didn't really have a a design background. So I didn't like using Photoshop, which was the most popular tool for UX design at the time, which seems kind of silly now. So I was a huge fan of an advocate for wireframes. And when I saw this job listing at Balsamic, I jumped at it, even though it was not primarily doing UI design for them. So I am kind of a subject matter expert for them as someone who used wireframes in the real world. So my job now is mostly to teach people how to wireframing and how to wireframe better. What's the story behind the book? Who came up with the idea? And you have two amazing co-authors. So what's the story? Why three people in a book? It's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole story about that as well. But, you know, it was just something that we joked about or talked about, you know, for a long time, like, hey, we should write a book sometime. Um, And then uh, at some point we did form, kind of formally form an education team with myself, my co-authors, Michael Angelis and Billy Carlson. And my other colleague, Francesca Fabri, and we were, we had a, a mini retreat in Chicago and we were all planning about what we wanted to write and talk about for the next year. And, you know, we brought up this idea of writing a book and we said, hey, you know, maybe this is the right time to actually try it. Um, and in the beginning, we thought we would just self-publish it. But, you know, we'd been talking about and thinking about and writing about wireframing forever. And there, and three of us have design backgrounds and were wireframers for a long time. And so we just started putting together an outline. And then at some point we thought, well, why not just pitch this to some publishers and see what happens? You know, the worst that happens, worst that can happen is they say no. And uh, we had a couple that were interested. And so because none of us are writers by training, we thought, okay, this is really the best way to help this book really be the best version of itself is to get professional (laughs) publishers and editors involved. So they really did so much work to help us put our ideas in a format that that could really be better understood. Among all the publishers, you picked a book apart. Congrats. That's a brand of its own. How did that go? How was the editing? Also, how long is the book as a technical question, but like as a fellow writer kind of wonder. 
Yeah. So we're all fans of, of a book apart. Um, you know, they're kind of a, a niche publisher and the balsamic culture is something that we really value. We're, we're a small company. We're very kind of human and, you know, define ourselves by, by the people, very personable. And when we met with a book apart, it felt the same way. You know, they're very small. They're, they're kind of niche. Balsamic is very niche. All we do is wireframing. And so we felt like there was kind of a, a cultural connection there. And we had a really good experience working with them, especially because we had three authors. Three authors had pros and cons. I'd say the the benefit is that for first-time writers, it meant a lot less writing for each of us. And then the biggest challenge, obviously, was making those three voices sound like one. So the editing process, it took a long time. I mean, it was over a year from when we f- submitted that first draft to when it was really kind of nearly finalized. So a lot of back and forth and a lot of work to edit the chapters and rearrange the topics and and make it kind of cohesive. Did you divide the chapters between yourself or did you like iteratively work on the same thing after Initially, one another? Initially we did split up the chapters between the three of us. So each of us, I think at, I think the initial version was maybe eight or nine chapters. So I think we each took about three chapters and worked on them separately i mean we shared them so but it was we picked chapters based on our specific areas of expertise and so the first draft was yes three people writing (laughs) different topics about wireframing in three different ways and so it it was a long journey to make it feel like one author at the end how many words in the draft the first draft was about forty thousand words and then a lot of words were added, but even more were removed. So I think the final version, the, the book itself is about 30,000 words. So it's it's concise. It's it's small. It's not, uh, it's about an average length for an a book apart book, but it's not, it's not huge by any means. Perfect size indeed. Between you and uh, the other two authors, like you, you approach the same field, but you probably have your own special sauce slash angle. What do you feel the angle is for yourself and for Mike and Billy? Yeah, so that's where it really was nice to collaborate with other people because we all, I think, share a similar philosophy, but all have different areas of expertise. Billy, for example, has a graphic design background, so he led the chapter on design principles for wireframes. So he knows a lot about alignment and hierarchy and these kind of more formal design principles. Mike has some background in that as well. Mike has done a lot of work in getting feedback and presenting. And so he wrote the chapter initially about getting feedback on your wireframes. Um, My experience is a lot of using wireframes in the real world to actually get uh, products built. So I, I led the chapter about wireframing on a team. So kind of how to use wireframes with different roles in the organization Yes, yeah, so th- those are some of the areas that we that we led, but we all kind of have this common belief that low fidelity is really useful and that you shouldn't go into detail too quickly. And so there's a lot of common beliefs that we have about how wireframes should be used. I just realized we didn't mention the title of the book yet. It's called Wireframing for Everyone. And why did you settle on this approach and this title? I think one of the biggest misconceptions about wireframes is that They're a UX design technique and tool, and I feel like we should correct that. I think wireframes should be used by more roles, that they can be used by everybody. You know, I mean, that's the whole thing about wireframes. They're easy to use. You don't have to have a design background to 
use uh, to use them or create them. They're easy to understand because they're not overly detailed. And so they really are, you know, I mean, they're fancy version of drawing on paper, which is something that anybody can do, except you don't have to be an artist to do it because there's a lot of these drag and drop UI widgets. So it's it, wireframing is accessible. It's available to everybody. And it's really just a way to get your ideas down on paper or on a screen. And so I think that it's everybody should be able to access that. And so there's a lot of different opinions about who should be designing, but really, I think everybody should be contributing and they're a good way to do that. Let's take the traditional SaaS production process. We have the product owner, uh, the designer, the engineer, who should have their hands on the wireframing tool? I think everybody, but not at the same time. So you can still follow the same process. I'm not saying that everybody is the UI designer, but the, say the product owner, they shouldn't be only using Word or Notion or Confluence to write down the requirements. You know, it's fine if they want to sketch out some ideas, like here's what I have in mind. You know, it could take you 1500 words to describe some feature when you could just really sketch it out in a wireframe in a couple of screens and you can still add your words. You can still talk about it in a meeting, but you know, if you give somebody a, a list of words, they're going to picture something, they're all going to picture something different. So just this ability to say, Hey, here's, here's what I was thinking. Here's what I have in mind, or give them some room to kind of experiment and play around a little bit before they talk to the designer or the other people, you know, and then the, the designer is going to be thinking about different things. The developer is going to be thinking about different things. So I'm not saying that everybody is all in there uh, working on the same thing at once. There's different things that wireframes can be used for. And there's different, there's different phases of wireframes. There's different types of wireframes. So, you know, we have to think about them, I think, a bit more broadly than people typically do. Could you give us an overview of those phases and types of uh, wireframes that could be useful in the SaaS production cycle? Sure, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up my copy of the book right now. So I Amazing. use the same terminology that, that we use. But yeah, the, in the very first chapter, we talk about three phases of wireframes. So we talk about early phase wireframes where they're just for you. So you are just trying to get your ideas out of your head. You're not thinking about making them understandable. It's really, it's a tool for, it's a creative tool. It's something to just get those thoughts out of your head and then see if those thoughts can lead to other thoughts. It's really just exploration in the kind of the classic design sense. And then once that's out, then you get to this middle phase where you're starting to think about iterating and revising your evaluating your ideas a little bit. Whereas in that early phase, you're not you shouldn't be thinking about whether they're good or not. You should just be getting everything out, whether it's good or bad. And then there's another phase where you start to maybe add a little bit of detail and maybe revise and, and elaborate on some things a little bit more. And now you're starting to think a little bit more about whether this is viable, what, how this might work. And then the last phase is not about making them look more polished or more finished, but it's about making them more presentable. It's about thinking about the audience for them. So it's about communicating them. So the first couple of phases are really just for you, like to try to picture what, how it might work. And then the next phase is, okay, let's think about how to actually move this to the next phase. One of the analogies we use is that the software process that you explained is kind of like a relay race. So there's, 
individuals that are running it, but there's that handoff phase where you have to hand the baton to the next person. And that in itself is a, a skill that needs to be practiced. And that's really where the communication and the handoff happens. And, and that's where you have to get on the same page with the next person. So then once you've established that and you kind of understand what the, you know, the, the person before you kind of has in mind and meant, then that person can be off and running with their work, um, you know, whether it's implementing the design according to the style guide or, or something like that. Um, but, um, you know, there, there's that handoff phase too, where it's really all about the communication. Handoff and presentation is actually one of my favorite hardships and like challenges and things to discuss. So when it comes to presenting your design work, with wireframes, but also you need to put some words down, right? Because as, as I found in my design career, it's all about writing, a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. How do you put all of this together? Do you like grab a snapshot of the wireframe, put it in a doc and write like over and under, or do you put in line comments? Like what's your recipe for this? I think the handoff is really, yes, there's things you can do to prepare your wireframe. And we do talk about that in the book, but I think it's really that you have to think about it as you are talking to other people. You have to think about it at the human level. You are communicating your idea. You are telling a story. And the wireframe is there to, as a kind of a, a visual aid or a supplement to that, rather than the other way around, that what you're doing is handing off a picture and then you're just kind of describing it. No, you are telling a story and that wireframe is there to to help you. It's, it's a, a book with illustrations or something. It's not the, the wireframe itself is not going to be used in production. It's not something for the customer. It's not the written code. It's just a way to help people understand it. So, so think about the ideas and the story first, and then use the wireframe to fill in the, the details. Or, you know, if there's anything that's a lot of effort to wireframe, then don't spend all your time making something interactive so you can show exactly um, what the animation looks like. You know, just explain how it works or point to a different part of the product and say it should use this, this code or it should work like this. So it's really about, you know, maximizing, being as efficient as possible with your energy. And so sometimes drawing something is the best way to communicate it. Sometimes it's annotations. Um, sometimes it's it's talking to somebody and saying, oh, you know, it should, it should work like this. Like it's about using whatever communication method is the most effective. So you, you have to think about it as like this whole package. The wireframe is part of it. The annotations that you use are part of it. The, you know, style guide or other specifications are part of it. And then you're part of it as well. So I think it's not good to just, you know, zip up a bunch of files and send them over and write a short email. Like, you have to kind of, you're responsible for the next person understanding what you're, what you mean. And so you have to use whatever is available to you to make sure that they really understand it. I'm glad you mentioned interactivity. I'm more in the camp of people who like flat states and not clickable prototypes, because I think it's more respectful of the reader because you are making the effort to show all the states in a more careful manner versus just shipping something that's like more mm, ephemeral, mm -hmm. if you may say so. What's your stance? Does uh, Balsamic really allow for clickable prototypes? Uh, what's the recommendation? When to use what? 
I think seeing the connection between screens can be helpful. So it helps you tell a story. You know, you can, in Balsamic, for example, and a lot of other tools has kind of a presentation mode where, you know, it feel you can get a better picture of what happens when you click on, you click on one thing, it goes to the next screen, et cetera. And that's helpful when you're telling a story. But one of the traps, I guess, in wireframing and prototyping tools is that the designer then or the, the user of them gets too caught up in building something or making something and kind of loses sight of the goal of communicating your idea. And so you kind of, you know, start to have too much fun with it and you lose sight of the user and where you're at in the process. So the goal should not be to make your wireframing prototype as realistic as possible. It should be to, you know, like I said before, do whatever you need to do to communicate your your idea. So once you start going down that rabbit hole of fine tuning everything, you know, try to stop yourself and take a step back and think about what value is this really adding for the, the end user, you know, who's really going to get the product in their hands. Is this work worth doing at this stage in the process? So yeah, the idea of say doing a couple different wireframes to show different states in a static way, I think is really useful because that's where then you come in and say, okay, when the user does this, they, it shows like this and here's the in-between state, but you don't need to animate it. You can just tell somebody and they, they, you know, they'll get it when you say here's three different states for something and you don't need to show the, the animation between them. People have seen that a million times. You probably already have that exact same code or widget in your product. So you don't need to try to replicate it when you're talking to a real person. What are your tips for asking and giving feedback specifically with wireframes or on wireframes? A lot of what we reference and talk about, we have a whole chapter on feedback in the book. A lot of it is is really just our favorite tips and ideas from other people. I mean, this idea of, of feedback and constructive criticism and critique you know, people have been doing it for, for hundreds, hundreds of years. It's nothing new. So I think it's more about implementing the best practices. I think one of the most useful things that you can do when asking for feedback is specify what type of feedback you're looking for. So there's this idea of like 30% feedback or 70% feedback or 90% feedback, like where are you in the design? So if you're just in the very early phases, say, you know, this is a very rough draft. I only want feedback on the high level things. You know, this is where I'm at in the process. Because if you just say, here's my design, what do you think? People are going to be critiquing all kinds of things. But, you know, it's very helpful if you specify up front the type of feedback you're looking for and where you're at in the process to help them focus on the right, the right things at the, at the right time. Your chapter was a wireframing on a team. So what are your favorite tips related to that? You know, going back to this idea of the process being kind of like a relay race where you run your leg of the race and you're also handing off the baton. It's it's about having a, a shared goal mentality that really what the only thing that matters is what ships. So you can't be thinking in a in a silo. You have to be thinking about the end user at all times. And you also be should be thinking about the other people on the project and how you can give them what they need. So it's really about a, a team mindset that we're all working on this thing together and we all have the same goal and not thinking about my job is to make the best possible whatever in my 
leg of the race, but it's, I have to think about the people that I'm working with and, you know, the people that I'm getting information from. So it's, it's really kind of a team mindset. So you've been educating people how to do wireframing for 10 years. What do you feel are the real struggles that people face? Sure, you you know you probably produce content about productivity and, and tips and tricks and everything all the time, but where do you feel are the deepest struggles? I think it's really about how to think about wireframing. I think when you're really, you know, a lot of people complain about wireframing and say it's not the right technique, it's not the right tool, but I think it's when that happens, it's because people are misunderstanding wireframe's role in the process. And a lot of the people that we work with are not designers, um, a lot of people who use wireframes. And so they think, oh, I have this tool that allows me to be a UI designer. And they immediately go in and they're like, I can build a, I can build a UI, I can design something. And you know, that's where giving somebody a tool that's too powerful can be bad and why I feel like it's nice when wireframing tools are very limited because they don't allow you to kind of just go crazy with it, with the UI design. And so it's really about, okay, let's think about, it's about teaching people to think about the right role of wireframing, which is mostly as communication. It's about ideation first and then communication. So it's about getting your idea uh, down onto the screen and then communicating it. So it's not about shipping your wireframe. It's about using this as a way to visualize your ideas and communicate those ideas. And I think people just, they often get really hung up on trying to build the, build the thing uh, when they should really be focused on using wireframes as a, as a phase for being creative, exploring, and then trying to articulate the problem or uh, articulate a certain solution or communicate it. So it's really this kind of in-between phase or it's a, it's, you know, when people who don't work in software get into software, they're like, wow, this is a whole process. There's every step is its own specialty. And I think design often gets viewed as just one step in the process. But, you know, once you get into it, you realize that it's a whole thing. And even wireframing is not just one thing. There's different types of wireframing. So um, being able to spend more time in that kind of exploration phase and not being so eager to just hand something off to the developers to build and just being a little bit more comfortable with the uncertainty and a couple of, you know, tossing out a couple of different ideas rather than just immediately trying to draw what you think is the right solution and just kind of, yeah, being comfortable in that in-between state. It's So it's really a mindset that we try to, that I think is the most valuable thing to teach. Has there been a certain thing that in your daily work, you don't really have the reason to express or say, but now that you had to write a book, you can finally like put your thoughts together and like do some thought leadership, uh, hardcore. Like what were those thoughts from your side or maybe from your author, co-author's side as well? Yeah, I think what we really appreciated about being able to write a book is having the space to elaborate on some of this stuff because it's very hard to distill this into a, a little soundbite or a tagline or to explain the difference between wireframes and prototypes or why you should do one over another. And most people don't know what a wireframe is or when they hear the word wireframe, they think of different things. And so having the space to kind of explore these things a little bit more and, and spend a whole chapter talking about why about why low fidelity and its benefits and how low fidelity is nothing new it's been used for 
sketching forever. It's used, it's how they make move. You know, we have a quote from the book on Pixar about coming up with all kinds of different ideas before you settle on the last one. You know, it's that really, this is nothing new. And that's why it's a wireframing is not just the latest tool that is around for 10 years and then people move on, but it's, it's something that the idea of low fidelity and sketching um, and exploration is something that's been around forever. And it's kind of the way that design has been done. I love that you take inspiration from animation and movies and things. In email, we've also just recently learned about the concept of a storyboard, which is like a spreadsheet template for planning emails in a very high level where you just put the synopsis instead of like trying to compose emails right away. It's pretty cool that other industries have been doing that for ages. We can really borrow stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Do you have a collection of like super unique styles of how people do their wireframes? Because balsamic, let's face it, is pretty forgiving. You can do anything with it. You can be very detailed or you can be very messy. Uh, do you have like a gallery of successful styles that have been um, done by users? Um, not per se, but we do the series where we call, that we call live wireframing sessions, where we mm -hmm. will kind of volunteer our time to help people wireframe. And I've learned so much from that because you are given real projects and you see people's real wireframes and you get to talk with them and, and every scenario is different. And so I watched a bunch of those videos, especially the ones that, that our founder Peldy did, uh, which were really good because he really spent a lot of time asking questions in the beginning and not jumping into the, the wireframe. So some of these sessions are an hour long and the wireframing doesn't start until 25 minutes into it because, you know, if you just start building right away, you're going to kind of go off track. And so uh, one of the articles I wrote on our um, wireframing academy site um, is called how to get started or getting started with wireframes. And it, and I think, you know, as with so many things, how you start dictates how the process will go. And so there's a couple of uh, techniques that we show in there, like just using your first wireframe to just write out just in words, like who's going to be using it? What are their most common actions that they're going to do? What are their goals for the project? And so kind of thinking about your wireframe more almost like a whiteboard Instead Welcome of just diving to jobs into... to be done, jobs to yeah, be done. Yeah, sure, right. Yeah, right. So put that stuff in your wireframe and not think about all my wireframes have to look like UI things, but you can put in screenshots. You can talk. You can mix and match high fidelity and low fidelity. You can bring in quotes. You can write down a bunch of text. That that it's kind of just this freeform thing, and take advantage of that, and not get yourself stuck in this mindset of oh, I'm creating a UI design. As we're wrapping up today's episode, what would be your last bit of advice for those who are listening to us, how to actually get better at wireframing? I would say, you know, as with everything, think about the end user, think about the goal, see your role in the process as just one part of things and just try to use wireframes as this flexible tool that they are, you know, your goal is not to build the UI design. Your goal is to kind of like help this idea or this user's problem, you know, become and eventually turn into a solution. So, you know, think of wireframes as this kind of 
fun thing that you can use to explore ideas, communicate with them. Uh, you're not, they're not a tool for building. They're a, a tool for kind of visualizing and, and communicating, you know, and, and when you're thinking about, oh, should I be, well, can I wireframe in my prototyping tool or do I really need to wireframe? You know, I was thinking that like, you know, people might say, why wireframe when you can prototype, but you could also ask, well, why use a pencil when you can use a paintbrush, you know? So it's like the, the tool and the, the medium that you use affects the, the outcome. So try to spend time in the low fidelity and it's kind of viewed as your safe space where you can just kind of explore and play around and don't put pressure on yourself to feel like you have to build the, the final thing. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today. Where can people find yourself personally and uh, the book and more online? Sure. So I'm on Twitter as long as it remains around at Leon Barnard, my, my full name. That's my username on a lot of things. Uh, we have a Balsamic Wireframing Academy, uh, which is what we call it, on the Balsamic website, which is balsamic.com slash learn. And in addition to some of the articles I mentioned, we have a lot of videos, these live wireframing sessions. You know, there's a lot of um, stuff on there that it talks about uh, not only wireframing, but um, kind of basics of UI design and UX design. And then the book, of course, um, is published by A Book Apart. So you can go to abookapart.com and get the book. And it's also available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and other places now. So, And we've been chatting a lot about it on LinkedIn. So if you want to go in there and uh, find me uh, on there, uh, I'm happy to talk about the book and answer questions about it. I love having these sorts of discussions about, about wireframes. Thank you so much, Leon. Pleasure talking to you and have a wonderful rest of your week. You as well. Thank you so much.